Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Howdy, I'm Dave, moving to Texas today, and I'm going to be dressed like this a lot from now on. No, probably not, um, but this belt buckle is a gift for Pastor Marty. It's, it's got a Carolina Gamecock on it, and so what I need you to do is try to convince him to preach a sermon series in this after I leave. I'm leaving this today. Now, what, I'll take this off in a second. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach in this. But I want to show you one cowboy in our family, the cutest cowboy. This is Chad, and when I was trying this on, he wanted to try it on. He definitely wins the prize for cutest cowboy. So we've been having fun with the Texas stuff. Oh, man. I couldn't do a mustache. You guys who can do it, like really do it, I, I'm, I'm impressed. But I, I, it just feels itchy to me. So probably why God didn't give me a good mustache. It still looks like I, I'm not ready to, to shave all the time. But we're glad you guys are here. This is a special service. I've still got the belt buckle on. It It pops right off. Don't worry. It's nothing weird. There we go. Pastor Marty, it's for you. From my heart. It's a special service for a number of reasons. First and most importantly, we're celebrating 15 folks moving from death to life. At the end of this service, we're celebrating with a baptism, which I just love. And I just want to say congratulations to you guys who are going public with your faith today. That's right. It is amazing. It's wonderful. And uh, I'm honored to, to be, to just share that moment with you, to have a front row seat, to, to see your testimony, which is going to be spoken without words as you come up out of that water. And the, the look on your face, the joy on your face of just being in the center of God's will for your life in that moment, doing something he's called all of us to do, uh, to, to go public with our faith and just congratulations. And if you're here today to support a friend or family member and you're visiting, welcome. So you're probably thinking this is the weirdest church I've ever seen. There was just a Texas intro video. I'll give you a little context. This is my la- my name is Dave and this is my last sermon as a staff member. Not my last sermon. I'm actually going to be back um, three times between now and the end of the year preaching. So you'll You'll probably get tired of seeing me. You'll be thinking, why well, didn't he leave? But I'm always going to be part of the Creek family. But, but this marks a transition. My family and I are moving to Texas starting today. We're going to leave and, and drive like halfway after the baptism service uh, and begin a new, new ministry adventure there, which we'll talk more about later. So it, it marks the end of a season for us. And that's bittersweet because uh, this place over the last decade has just been our family and been, man, just been so much that I can't even put into words. And so as I knew I would have uh, two sermons last week and this week to kind of wrap up my, my time as a staff member and I could preach on essentially whatever, I was praying, Lord, what would you have me preach on? I don't want to just, I don't want to just waste this opportunity. What would you have me teach on? And I felt like he directed me to a part in scripture where, where Jesus taught on what's the most important part of life. And he taught essentially the most important part of life 
is love. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures, is, it's an easy one to remember. This is one you can write down and put on your refrigerator. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, which says, do everything with love. And if we'll just do that, it's amazing how life comes into focus. And, and love, by the way, the way the Bible teaches us, it's not just this feeling. It's not saying you have to go through life with this kind of mushy feeling about everything. That's, love isn't a feeling. Love is always an action. Love is always a commitment. And feelings often follow it. But when we mistake the feeling for love, then we've gotten out of bounds. God never would call you to build your life on something that's changing or fickle. And our feelings are just that. They're always changing and they're fickle. So when he calls us to build our life on love, he's calling us to root our lives, to anchor our lives into something that is eternal. That commitment, that action of putting others Uh, ahead of ourselves, of trusting God and wholeheartedly worshiping Him and serving Him, that's what's going to give us the life that He created us to have. Last week, we talked about the first aspect of what matters most, which is loving God. And this week, we're going to talk about the second aspect, which is loving people. What matters most in life? According to Jesus Himself, loving God, loving people. Last week, we looked at the scripture where He was asked point blank, teacher, what is the most important thing in the Bible? And He said, the most important commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second most important commandment is actually just as important as the first, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And later he taught that your neighbor isn't just the guy that lives next door to you, but the neighbor is anybody, anybody that God brings into your path. Whether they speak the same language, whether they look the same, act the same, believe the same, they're your neighbor because they're created in God's image and they have limitless and eternal value. So all people we need to love as our neighbor. And love our neighbor as ourself, the Bible said. So that's what matters most. And if we're not living that life of love, we're actually missing the point. No matter how much success you have in other areas, no matter how many dollars you accumulate or awards or trophies you have at home, if it's not rooted in love for God and love for people, then the Bible says it's empty, it's hollow, it's meaningless. And it's not that there's anything wrong with with having success or a career or all those other things. But if we do any of those pursuits without love... We're going to be directed and motivated by the wrong things. We're going to really miss the whole point. So Jesus explained what love is when it comes to, to loving our neighbor. And he, he said this. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. For in the same way that I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So Jesus is saying, if you want to know what kind of the the litmus test is for whether or not somebody's a a wholehearted follower of of mine, a a true Christ follower, a Christian, it's not going to be the bumper sticker on their car. It's, it's It's not going to be anything external. It's going to be the love they have for other people. And so if we're not loving people, we're missing out on the most key aspect of what we're called to do in our faith. And so in the time that I've got this morning, I just want to talk from Scripture about what does it look like to love people? Because I think that we can get off base with that or misunderstand what that really means. But God's made it pretty simple. I think a lot of times we overcomplicate what's in the Bible. We make it mystical when really it's supposed to be practical. And so what does it mean to love people? Well, a few principles jump out. And if you're filling in the blanks, here's the first one. Loving people means viewing them with compassion and not comparison. I think maybe the greatest enemy of love in our time is this idea of comparison, this comparison trap. When we're scrolling through social media and even if we're hitting like for something good that happened to our friend, we're not really happy about it, right? We want, we want it or we want more than they have. As my favorite writer C.S. Lewis said, it's, it's not enough to just 
have a house. We want a nicer house than our neighbor. It's, it's not enough to have a job. We want a better job than the guy next to us. It's like we're motivated by pride. And pride is that part in us that wants to always compete and one-up each other instead of just loving each other. You know, I was at the gym earlier this week, and I was on an elliptical machine. And for you younger in-shape folks that don't know what the elliptical machine is because you're still on the treadmill with the really fit people, an elliptical machine is what would happen if a treadmill and a walker had a baby, right? Because it's like there's something to hold on to the whole time. It's really easy on the joints. And I'm kind of getting to the season of life where I've sort of comfortably just said, this is where I belong, all right? This is not for elite fitness, but this will keep me relatively healthy. And so I'm, I'm doing my thing on the elliptical machine. And there's, I'm the only guy on it. There's 10 elliptical machines. I'm the only, the, the rest are empty. And so I get as far away as I can get because like when I'm working out and I love people, but when I'm working out, I don't want to be next to anybody. I sweat. I make weird noises. I'm not very graceful. I just want to do this on my own, right? We'll talk later. And so this guy walks up past all of these empty elliptical machines and he gets on the one right next to me, okay? Now there's an unwritten bro code that says whether it is a a line of urinals or a line of elliptical machines, don't get the one right next to the other. Men, we understand this, right? Like it's just on the Y chromosome. We're born knowing this. That's right. And so this weirdo comes and gets right next to me. And I'm so frustrated, right? But I'm like, I can't be a jerk because I'm thinking maybe he goes to the church. I can't cuss at him, you know? I mean, what if he goes to the church? So so I'm just like, I'm just locked in. I'm going to just focus on my workout. He's going to do his own thing. But I can't help but noticing out of my peripheral vision, he's not looking at his screen. He's looking at my screen. And then he's hitting buttons and he's looking back at my screen. And I realize this fool is trying to race me. On an ellipt... How sad is that? Just two middle-aged guys racing on an elliptical machine. It's like... But there's a part of me that wanted to race because I, I was pretty confident I could take him. Like, I mean, I didn't... I wasn't going full form. When, I mean, I could have I really moved. Like, I mean, I could have made it happen. But I just sort of laughed to myself and thought, man, what is it in our human nature that, that, that does that? That just makes us, it's not enough to just exercise. I got to do it better than the guy next to me. And there's, there's sometimes a place for healthy competition. And I love sports and all that. I'm not saying competition's evil. I'm saying that when our motivation in life isn't loving people, it's beating people, then we've missed the point. We've missed the point. And so we need to approach it We need to approach life with with humility, the Bible says. The world is all about pride. And pride is all about you, what you want to do, your agenda. And Jesus comes and says, no, I'm teaching you a different way. So it's the way of humility. And humility isn't beating yourself up. It isn't saying, I'm worthless, everybody else is great. It's been described, humility isn't even thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's just taking yourself out of the making life a reality show about you where everyone else is just a supporting character there to serve your needs. And instead you say, Lord, work through me to help the people around me. Help me to be a blessing to the people around me. I love this verse. Uh, The the Old Testament prophet prophet Micah, 3,000 years ago, spoke these words from God directing us to what really matters, what our life should be about. And he said, has the Lord, has he shown you, O Lord, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Three things, to act justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Three things. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That's it. That's a life plan right there. Like, you know, you love people and you do it in light of those things. Man, you are living the life that God has for you. But the problem is, we tend to want mercy for ourselves and want justice for other people. We, we flip these two things around. He's saying, no, you act justly. You do what's right. You go the extra mile. And when it comes to other people, have a heart that's bent towards mercy for them. But we get it backwards. We want mercy for us. We want justice for other people. I'll give you an example. How many of you have ever been, been pulled over by one of, one of our, our brave, wonderful men and women who are, who are serving and protecting us on the police force and you get pulled over? How many of you have ever told them, you know what? I deserve a ticket. I have no excuse. In fact, give me the maximum penalty. If jail time is an option, I volunteer. I was wrong. No, what do you say instead? I'm, this, I, this is so out of character for me. Look, I mean, I was in a hurry. I, I didn't realize I was going that fast. I've, I've got this really important thing I was doing for my child. Or, you know, we've got some sob story. And we don't think we deserve a ticket. And when you get one, you feel like, You've been wrong. But what happens when someone passes by you in traffic and then they get pulled over? Is there a more gratifying feeling on earth? Yes! Get him! Now, in that moment, you're slowly driving by, looking at the guy that got pulled over that just sped by you. Are you thinking, Lord, I pray mercy for that person? No, you're saying, waterboard them. Just throw them straight in jail. Give them all the justice that they they can handle. We want mercy for us. And we want our version of justice for everybody else. And God says, no, you, you've got to get that backwards. You've got to act justly. You've got to do the right thing always. Go the extra mile. And then I want you to have a heart of compassion that's extending mercy to other people, thinking the best of other people, wanting to help them. And I want you to do it all with humility because humility is going to take away that toxic root of pride that gets in all of our hearts and makes us think my way is the best way. Everybody's wrong but me. I don't have to answer to anybody and help us instead to look at the world with love. That's what God wants for us. Live with that kind of humility. Okay, number two, loving people requires listening to people. We have something to learn from everybody. Again, if you have pride, you don't think you have anything to learn from other people, so you don't listen. You think you already know it all. But humility says, I want to learn from everyone because everyone has something, some experience that I don't have that that I can learn from. In fact, if you want to communicate love to someone, it's more in how much you value what they have to say than in what you yourself say to them. We tend to think that our love is communicated only in our words, and that's part of it, but it's communicated even more, I would argue, in our listening. Because when you lock in and focus on someone in this world of distractions where we're in our phones and all these other things, and you give someone uninterrupted eye contact and you listen to what they have to say, genuinely caring about what they have to say, they know you care about them. But if you're just interrupting them and looking for an opportunity to come in and share your opinion or win the argument or whatever, you've blown the opportunity. I love the way the Bible in the book of Proverbs so bluntly puts this. 18, Proverbs 18, chapter 2, it says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Can you imagine how different social media would look if we would just follow this, this verse? But something about being online and feeling like we're a little bit anonymous, we feel like we got to weigh in with our opinion on everything and that our opinion's right and there's all these arguments and uh, it just, it turns toxic. But when we really listen to each other, it's amazing what we learn and it's amazing what happens and we're connected to each other 
just on a, on a deeply human and spiritual level when we show love in that kind of way. And I was reminded of this this week at an interesting encounter. I was dropping off um, my oldest son. He's been spending the night with some friends this week. They're kind of on their own farewell tour because they're saying goodbye to their friends. And so I'm dropping him off at a friend's house to, to spend the night. And these two young men on bicycles, they were Mormons, were, were like getting ready to come down the road. And I was like, oh, and I like made eye contact. And I'm like, oh, dang it, I made eye contact. And, 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 and I'm like, I'm just going to like try to get in my van like really quick. But they were in much better shape than me. I'm like an elliptical guy. They were like Lance Armstrong on those bikes. I mean, I don't know where they do their training, but they were at the minivan like they had been teleported there before I could even get into the van. And so, oh, and they were so friendly. And I was like, oh, I can't be mean. And so I, I'm listening to I'm like shaking my head. And they're like, you go to church? And I'm like, yeah, I go to church. And my my 11-year-old's in the car. He goes, he's a pastor. <laughs> and so I kind of make a joke about like, yeah, I'm not exactly a free agent. You know, I'm kind of you know, committed where I am. And, uh, but I guess they get bonus points for pastors because they were just like really going for it then. And now, like there, there's something in me. There's a pride in me that, that likes to argue because it's one of the only things I'm good at, Okay. Like, both my brothers are attorneys, and I'm better than them. Like, seriously, I'm not good with tools. I can't fix cars. I can't do much. But I can argue. And, like, sometimes, out of pride, like, I want to I leverage that. I'm listening to these guys, and they're, they're you know, and they're, they're so nice. But they got this script. And I, and I, and I kind of start down the argument road just, just because, in a sick way, I find it fun sometimes. And I'm, and, and, and I'm, I'm starting to argue about how the Bible can't really have sequels and and all these things. But, but then I realized, you know what, this is a road of pride that I'm going down. And I sort of felt the Holy Spirit convicted me, like, is that what Jesus would, would have you do? Is that really loving these guys? These guys that get doors slammed in their faces all the time, people cussing at them all the time. Like, why don't you just love them? And I also knew I had a sermon on this subject coming up a few days later, and I needed another example. And I'm like, maybe if this goes well, it could be a sermon story. Any other week, I'm not sure I would have done it this way, but... It is what it is. So, so I turn, I, I switch gears and I'm like, I just, I want to listen to him. Like, listen to him. And so, and so I'm listening to him and, and then I'm like, I just want to thank you guys. Like, truly, thank you for the way you've challenged me and you've convicted me, the way you're living out what you say you believe by putting it into action. I, like, it really convicts me because I don't do as good a job as you're doing by being so willing to tell other people about, about my faith, sharing the good news. And so you've, you've challenged me. You can, I, and thank you for being willing to live out what you believe in that way. I said, and, and you're probably praying for people all the time. So, so I want to, can I pray for you? And they're like, well, I guess. Yeah, okay. So I'm like, well, let me say a prayer for you. Like, what's, what's going on in your lives? And they're like, well, just pray for our mission. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. But like, what do you care about? Like, what, who are you thinking about? Right now, like when you're riding down the road, who, who is the face that comes to your mind that you're deeply concerned for? What is the situation? And the walls start coming down a little bit. And one guy's like, well, I, I got this girlfriend back home and I love her. I want to marry her. But, you know, we're, I, I'm, I'm gone. Like, I mean, we, we, give, we give two years to do this of our life. And it's like, I don't really get to see her. And it's been so hard. And she's, I'm having a hard time. She's having a really hard time. And, and if you could just pray for him, like, yeah, what's her name? Her, name, her name's Hunter. Like, yeah, I'd love to pray for Hunter. I'm like, what about you? And he's like, well, I'm almost up with my time doing this. And, 
And I've been so focused on this that I don't know what's next. Like I knew what to do every day right now. I know what I'm supposed to do. But in a couple of weeks, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I've, I've come to kind of depend on the structure. And I don't know what's next for me or what God wants me to do. And a little bit scared about that. And I'm like, all right, well, let me pray for you guys. But, but what, are you, what are your names? I got to pray for you by name. Like, well, I'm, I'm Elder Johnson. I'm like, no, no. What, like, what is your name? Like, what do your friends call you? Like, oh, well, I'm Michael. I'm James. And so I, I just prayed for him. Like, right by the minivan in this random neighborhood where I didn't live, I just prayed for him. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is going to be such a good sermon story. Thank you. No. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. But I just felt like, in this moment, Lord, what does love look like? And I felt like he was saying, do that. And so I, I prayed for him. I don't know if it made any difference. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. On this side of heaven, I don't think we ever really know what the end result is of, of doing what God nudges us to do. But what we do know is that he always, even when he's the only one who sees it, he always, always blesses that faithfulness. And love is never wasted when, you know, when it's given freely the way that he calls us to. And I, and I don't say that story to like brag about like, oh, look, I did it right. I say that story kind of because the whole thing convicted me because I have done other things in similar situations so many times. I've, I've argued just for sport. I've uh, avoided people altogether um, more often than I'd like to admit. And just by being willing to do what Jesus actually said to do one time, I left different. I don't know if those guys did or not, but I did. Because I don't want to miss all these opportunities that God gives us. Every day, God gives us opportunities to change the world for somebody and change our own world in the process. But very often we miss the opportunities because we mistake it for an interruption. And when we're so busy looking for our own agenda and all the things that we've got to get done and checking the things off our list and thinking that's what success is, and I'm not saying don't have a plan and all that, but I'm saying if God can't interrupt our plan, then are we really following him? If he can't come in and supersede what we wanted to do in that moment, then then what are we really doing? And so it was just a reminder to me to be more present because when God puts somebody in front of you, somebody created in his own image, whether they think like you, whether they believe like you, that's irrelevant. They're your neighbor and you're called to love them, called to love them wholeheartedly. And so I think that, I think that all of us as followers of Christ, we need to always start there, not by trying to argue with each other and convince each other, but it always has to begin with love. All right, the next one. Loving people means serving them with no thought of repayment. Now, we live in a world that's really good at networking, but really bad at love. And by networking, I mean kind of the business practice where you you build a relationship and you do something good for somebody, but it's really so that they eventually can do something of equal or greater value for you. And I'm not saying networking in itself is wrong in business relationships, but it's a poor substitute for love. Because love doesn't say, I'm going to serve you because of what I can get out of it. Love says, I'm going to serve you because love itself is the reward. And I want to do good for you, especially when you're in no position to repay. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his best when we were at our worst. He forgave us when we were unlovable. He gave his life for us while we were so undeserving. And then he said, now I want you to love each other with that same kind of love. So here's, in practical terms, kind of how that looks. I made a little graph that looks like a stock quote. Not because I know anything about stocks. I'm the wrong guy to ask. But I think every person's life has high points and low points. 
There are certain times in your life when it's just like everything's going right. You're on top of the world. Everybody wants to be your friend. But then there are these low points where you've blown it, where you've totally messed up, where nothing is going right. And in these low points, when you need others around you the most, this this is the point when people are most likely to abandon you. So if you want to extend love the way Jesus did, or even in stocks, you don't just buy a stock when it's like at its peak value. You'll never really gain value in it. You invest at the low points. Invest in somebody's life when they're at their most broken. Not because of what they can do for you in return, but because in that moment they can't do anything for you in return. But you get to be part of their miracle. You get the blessing of being part of their miracle by coming in when everyone else was rushing out. You know, I think about my friend Daniel, who was part of this church for years. He's now in Atlanta, but when his wife died of cancer at the age of 29, he said, you know, through that process, looking back, he said, you know, I never, I don't really remember what anybody said to me during that time, but I'll never forget who showed up. And that stuck out to me. It's like, you know, sometimes we don't go to people in their low points because we're like, I'll say the wrong thing. I don't know what to say. That's messy. I don't want to get involved. But just being there shows love more than anything. And then he said something else that I thought was even more profound. And he said, when somebody's hurting, don't just tell them it's going to be okay. Stay with them until they can say it. Again, it's just the strength that someone gets by your presence and knowing, look, I, there's nothing I can say to make this better, but I'm, I'm with you and I'm for you. And we're going to face this together. Man, that's, that's love. And we're called to do that for each other, especially in those moments when it's hard and it's messy and there's... There are tears and it's grieving and, and it would be easier to just sort of step back and say a silent prayer from a distance when God has called us to get involved. There's so many stories from in this church. I mean, you, how you guys as a church have, have come alongside people at their low points and made a difference. And I could, I could share hundreds of these stories, but one that jumped out because I, I just got a message on Facebook from her this week um, is my friend Julie. Her new married name is Julie Kennedy. We have her picture. Julie is one of the first people that I married here at the creek. I married her and her husband, Eric, about 10 years ago. And they were just so in love. Everything was looking great for them. But a few years later, their life took a turn. They'd recently had their daughter, Ruby, just a a beautiful little girl. And then through some hard circumstances of life, Julie turned to some substances to kind of numb the pain she was feeling. And she found herself in full-blown addiction very quickly, just just a devastating cycle of addiction. And many of us here know what that feels like. So in this addiction, uh, in, the, in the midst of it, she lost her, her marriage. She lost custody of her daughter. She lost the right to see her daughter. And at the low point, which was just a couple years ago, her parents had flown down from Pennsylvania to kind of do an intervention. And they brought her to church, and it was a Christmas Eve service two years ago. And Julie came in, and they found me. I was one of the only familiar faces they knew because I had done the wedding And Julie, who woke up that morning and said, it's Christmas Eve, I'm not going to drink today. And she made it 30 minutes into the day before she started. And by the time church started, she was was so intoxicated that she didn't really know where she was. She was kind of coming in and out of consciousness. Um, And Dorna, you know, one of our pastors who's just really got a gift for ministering to people in these low points. she, She came alongside this family, loved them, encouraged them, prayed for them. And just said, we're going to get through this. We're going to help you get through this. And she connected them to resources, rehab facilities. Short time later, Julie went home with her parents to Pennsylvania where she got in an inpatient treatment facility and has been sober ever since. And in that time, she's, she's just rededicated her life to Christ. Um, she 
is now in school to be a social worker to help other women who were caught in that same cycle of addiction. She's regained partial custody of her daughter. She's getting to spend summers with her daughter now. And this past week, her church in Pennsylvania, which is one of the largest churches in the state, it has over 10,000 people. They showed a 10-minute testimony video of Julie's, which she sent to us and just said, I just wanted you to know what a difference Stevens Creek Church made in my journey. And I'm so thankful for people who were there to minister to me at that low point in my life. And this church has been a part of so many stories. And a lot of the folks are still here. A lot of them have gone on to their, their next assignments. But the seeds of love that you've planted and continue to plant, and they, they're, they're taking root for the kingdom all over the world. And I'm just so honored to be part of a church that's planted so many of those kinds of seeds. And seeing, seeing a little bit of the harvest is so encouraging. So as prepared to, to end, I want to do something a little different. I want to briefly highlight some of the folks that have taught me the most about love. And so many in this church have. But I want to highlight the folks who've done it for my home. Because they're the ones who've really seen me at my worst. And so I want to talk about my family real quick. Uh, with this being our, our, our last Sunday as, as, a, as a staff person. So first with Chatham. He was a little cowboy at the beginning. He's our three-year-old. He's so cute. He is. He taught me about love by always bringing people together. He just unifies people. First thing he does in the morning, he grabs me and Ashley, hugs our necks, pulls our faces close together and says, my babies, my babies. It's so cute. Next is Chandler. Chandler never loses sight of what matters most, and which is people and relationships. You know, the day we sold our house and bought one in Texas, we told this kindergarten teacher and she was like, hey, Chandler, did something big happen yesterday? Some big news in your family? And he thought about it and he goes, yes, yeah, something big did happen yesterday. We had a picnic at the park. It was awesome. She, he, it, like, buying and selling houses, it was not even on his radar. It was a picnic with the people that you love. And he was right. That was what mattered most. And I, I never want to lose sight of that. I think that that childlike faith is why Jesus said, unless you come to me, that childlike faith, you'll never fully get it. You won't come at all because kids just get stuff that sometimes we as adults overcomplicate. Next is Connor. He's got a heart of gold, our 11-year-old. He, he is going to be a chef someday. He wants to be, you know, he, he, can, he can make a, a feast out of whatever ingredients you give him. You know, some cheese whiz and some Cool Whip and a piece of bacon and he'll make dinner and make it great. He, he loves cooking and stuff, but he sees the same in people. Like he always finds the best in people. He doesn't, look, the first thing he noticed, it isn't something to look down on. It's, it's always the good and he highlights that and, and it challenges me to see the best in people. And then Cooper, our oldest, and this picture kind of sums up his sense of humor. It's just... He's, he's a great kid. He's, he started a YouTube channel a couple years ago. Um, and at first it was all about highlighting him, like his little tricks he would do on the trampoline. And, and then he realized it's boring to highlight yourself. And so he started making it about highlighting other people. So he would find other kids all around the world who would put in like flip and trick trampoline videos online. And he would make highlight videos of them for them, put it online. And these kids were so grateful and so appreciative that kids from all over the world started sending him videos of themselves. And he's built this whole community. He's got like kids in Sweden and Hawaii and all these places that he's never been that are part of this little community he's created because instead of making it about himself, he made it about highlighting others. And the irony is when you don't make it about yourself, you make it about helping others and highlighting others, God gives you more influence than you ever could have gotten any other way. And it's just been cool letting his example remind me that it's never about highlighting ourselves. It's about using whatever influence we have to serve and help other people. And then the one who's taught me the most about love, this beauty. Yes. Mm. (laughs) 
Love you, sweetie. <laughs> now, Ashley has taught me more about love than anybody. Just the way that she, the way she loves God, loves her kids, loves me, loves her family, her church. Um, every day, I'm inspired to be better because of you. And there's no greater honor in my life than than to share life with you. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for you, and to do this journey of life with you. And and I'm so thankful for all of you guys. I could talk for days about. How, how much, man, so many, so many of you have individually impacted my family and me through your prayers, your encouragement, your friendship, and our, from our small group to just folks that, on the staff, to people that I see out in the community, folks that I've developed friendships with, to Pastor Marty and Patty who have given us more, just invested in our lives in ways that we could never repay. Um, I, I, words fall short. Like I said, words are about all I can do, and, and I don't have the words to adequately communicate just the gratitude that I feel for you, for this team, for this church. So thank you, we'll have to do for now, but just know that I I love you guys. But here's the good news as we prepare to wrap up. Love isn't a story with a happy ending. Love is a story with no ending. That's why I don't even say the word goodbye very much because there's something final about it. And in Christ, it's never goodbye. It's always, see you soon. Like even when I'm, I'm praying with somebody and they're on their deathbed, I don't say goodbye See you soon, because it's true. Relatively soon, you and I will be in the same place. And it's a place where there's no more tears, no more goodbyes, no more cancer, no more doubts, no more, no more anything negative. It's, it's where love lives, un, 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 uninhibited love. And that's, that's the home Christ has for us, for you and for me. Because love lives forever. The final verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now these... These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's not make our lives about anything, anything other than that, other than what's going to live forever. The faith we have in God, the hope we have through Christ, the love we have from him, to him, and for each other. That's eternal. Everything else is temporary. So let's build our lives on that which is eternal. And I'm so honored that in a few moments we wrap up this service, we're going to get to celebrate through baptism the public display of that commitment that 15 have made to say, I want to focus my life on that which is eternal. That Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, the forgiver of my sins, and I'm part of his family forever. And, uh, and I'm, I'm truly, truly honored for the 15 of you who've made that decision. For anyone here or online that when I pray wants to make that decision to follow Christ today. And I want to thank each of you once again for so your, your love and support for my family over the years. And that, again, it isn't goodbye. It's not finishing. In fact, I'll be back sooner than you'll even realize I'm gone. But, but I do just want to use this moment to, to honor each and every one of you by saying thank you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this church, for the way that they've shown love uh, to each other and to me and to my family in, in ways that I, I cannot even express in words. Pray your blessing on them, on Pastor Marty and Patty as they continue to, to lead and serve on our staff here, these amazing teammates and partners in ministry, on every family and friend, and even those, Lord, who are just visiting here today, that they're not here by accident. You have such a plan for them to hear your word and put it into action right where they are. I thank you, Lord, that on this side of heaven, all of our homes are temporary, that our forever home isn't in Georgia or Texas or South Carolina, but it's a home that you, Lord Jesus, are preparing for us in your Father's house, and that kingdom that's going to last forever where we can be with you and with each other forever. And for that, we thank you. And help us to live our lives 
in light of what's eternal, not being distracted by what's temporary. And for any here today that want to begin that eternal relationship with you, I pray in their own words, they'd say, Jesus, save me today. Forgive me of the way I've lived. Help me to help me to be the person you made me to be. Adopt me into your family. Help me to live my life loving you and loving people. That's a prayer for all of us, God. Help us live our life loving you and loving people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.